What's up, everybody? This is usually where I say Butcher Talk and Butcher starts talking, but it's Juggalo June. I think you know the theme by now. Uh, I've decided to kick Butcher out of this whole thing. He's not touching Juggalo June. It's just a Blade solo operation. It's going to be fun, I think. Uh, this is the second episode of Juggalo June with our new best friend, Eric Conway. Eric, how are you? I'm doing all right. Thanks for asking. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, our previous guest, Shmeev, just got done teaching me about Reaper for like an hour and a half, and my head is really full. Um, Shmeev is great and knowledgeable. Yeah, I think I'm going to retain about 40% of that, maybe 30 by the time I wake up and try to use it tomorrow. But you know, Yeah, I feel fun. like you can learn only so much when somebody teaches you. You learn way more in practical application when you need to figure out how to do something. And you're like, oh, now I understand how to do this thing. Yeah, correct. So Shmeev taught me like basic stuff about like compression filters and whatnot. And we'll see if our episodes improve from here on out. Like yours will be improved if I learn how to do compression and stuff like that. But we've been just raw dogging it. I'm the edit. I'm the entire behind the scenes for this thing. Butcher does nothing but show up and look pretty and talk. Uh... So I've been editing our episodes in Audacity, which does not let me do that much. Uh, yeah. I just adjust audio levels, and if somebody's like really dead set on me cutting a part out, I will edit it out. But it takes <laughs> me like twenty minutes to edit something out. Uh, it's really it's hard. It's hard. And uh, okay, well we'll just get this right from the jump then. Yeah, just don't say anything weird. Um, Oof. No, it's fine. You can say all the weird things. We love that here. Uh, the only thing I've ever had to edit out was uh, we had somebody who goes by a stage name on our podcast, and we brought up his real name because Butcher found it out, and he was like, how did you guys know that? Oh, I see. Don't, don't record that. <laughs> uh, so I had to go back and edit out his real name, and then nobody was none the wiser because I split it perfectly. Um, but yeah, that's about it. Editing is not that hard. But here on the Butcher Bordello Blood, we're Sans Butcher, so this month is Blade Bordello Blood, and I'll be telling you that all the time. So usually... <laughs> is the, uh, Bordello of Blood, is it named after the... Um, what was it? Tales from the Crypt movie? Correct. Nobody really has ever brought that up, I don't think. I think you're the very first person to catch that. Oh, wow. Congratulations so, to me. Here's a little bit of history. The Bordello started as like these uh, text interviews that Butcher would do through a university website, if I get that correct. Uh, he'll probably yell at me if I don't. But he used to do text interviews with people, and he'd just call the Butcher Bordello blood, and he'd put these text interviews online. And then Pandemic came around, and like he wanted to do movie nights, and like uh, he started using the Discord. Uh, there's a Butcher Bordello blood server. It's no longer active, but we're also there uh, for movie nights. And like he'd have me grab him like, nine or like i don't know like five to nine movies and then he'd splice it all together with like bumpers commercials little skits and like he would just have movies going for a very long time every month and then eventually like it just became like two people watching it and he's like all right that's too much work i'm done you know who else likes to do almost exactly that you quentin tarantino Ooh, i don't know i think he wouldn't like me because i'm not a foot guy um, is that how it works? If you're a foot person, you don't like people that aren't? Uh, you know, it's pretty much a part of his core DNA at this point. I don't think we'd have a lot in common besides I love movies. And I'm not sure how far that conversation would go if I'm like, hey man, I don't like the whole foot thing you do. 
Is it weird that the foot thing with Tarantino never really occurred to me until it got all the way to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? And I was like, what the fuck is with the feet in this movie? I mean, it didn't click for me until somebody told me about it. And then I watched From Dust Till Dawn for the first time. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, that's clear. Like, it's very obvious here. But it it was exactly like that, though. It was when it registered, it was like an avalanche of memories going back to every Tarantino movie I watched. And I went, oh, shit. Yep. Every movie is about feet. Yeah. Wiggle your big toe. A, a titular plot point in Kill exactly. Bill. Like it's, I was, yeah. Ugh, so weird. But uh, we've already hit the jump of the first movie mentioned. Uh, what was your first experience with horror? And how old were you? You know, my story is a weird one, and it's my first experience is not a, I saw this movie and that did it. It was sort of a journey to get there, and I'll tell you about it if you want to know about it. I assume you do, because we're on this show. Yes, of course. We love long-winded stories. Like, that is our thing. Oh, for real? Okay, well, here comes one. So, I remember being very young, like three or four. And uh, my mom and my grandparents watching movies that I wasn't allowed to see. Like sometimes I'd be allowed to watch them, but they'd make me cover my eyes for parts. And other times it was like, no, this is a scary movie. You need to go to bed. One that I specifically remember, the beginning of at least, was Poltergeist that I, I watched from down the hall. And I was like, scared of it. Either way, their willingness to protect me from horror movies I think made me like truly fear them in my head. I definitely built them up to be something terrifying. And it, it kind of like, it became like a taboo thing for me. Like I was like, okay, I'm not allowed to watch movies with boobs in them. And I'm not allowed to watch horror movies. Luckily on the Venn diagram, the two over overlap a good bit. So that it was easy to weed out those movies, but it's weird because around the same time, like I remember being a kid and being obsessed with the video for Thriller and thinking that the zombies and stuff were cool. And I remember like as a kid drawing zombies with like their arms falling off. And my mom being like, that's too scary. You shouldn't be drawing stuff like that. And that was really young though. And then when I was probably like 10 years old, the neighbor kids that were older than me, I was at their house and they had another poltergeist on and they were like, hey, watch this. It's cool. And I remember being like afraid of it and running home like, oh, I'm not allowed to watch this. So my first real experience with horror, like actually watching a movie, I think I was about 12 and I was at my dad's house. My parents are divorced. They got divorced when I was like one. So I would see him for special occasions. And it was like they had had a, a party in the summer and I was sleeping over and he let me watch Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, which I was not prepared for. Uh, I just had never watched a horror movie, and it totally traumatized me. I, I don't think I slept at all that night. It's not even that scary of a movie, but there is some bizarre and disturbing things in it, considering I hadn't watched it. That was my first real experience. It wasn't until I was in high school, though, probably like 15 or 16, that my friends that liked horror movies showed me evil dead and also dead alive. And there was this like moment of a light bulb going off. Like, wait a minute, is this what horror movies are like? Because this is kind of cool. It wasn't nearly as bad or as scary as I thought it was, especially when I then watched like some of the big slasher franchises. And I'm like, this stuff is like 
fun and goofy. Like it's way more tame than I expected it to be. Um, and I would say it wasn't just my friends at the time exposing me to horror movies because like in the years leading up to that, I was a big fan of video games like Mortal Kombat and Splatterhouse 2 specifically. And I was listening to a lot of music and stuff that I think was horror adjacent and brought some of the imagery and stuff in. And uh, that was it, though. Once I had seen those movies and I had fun with my friends watching them, I was on like a a horror rampage for like 15 or 20 years. Uh, I, you know, made friends in college that liked independent movies and horror movies and uh, they exposed me to a lot of the non-mainstream stuff, and it just it it kind of turned into a contest to find the most extreme and fucked up movies. Like, I uh, we we watched all the cult stuff and the indie stuff and the Italian stuff and the Japanese stuff and the Korean stuff, like all the crazy awesome movies, the things that are banned in the U.S. that like you could buy at a con on a dubbed import VHS and stuff like that back before everything was on the internet. But I mean. I remember watching like Tetsuo Iron Man and Cannibal Holocaust and Eraserhead and uh, later on down the line Audition and Imprint and Ichi the Killer, all that Takashi Miike stuff and Martyrs and all the Human Centipede movies, the second one of which is actually legitimately pretty fucked up. Uh, Antichrist, a Serbian film, like as crazy as you could find, that was the stuff I was trying to watch. Uh, and I was. And I'll be honest, I think... Maybe I started to get desensitized to it, or maybe I just got a little bored because I think in horror, you start to see repeating tropes and themes a lot. A lot of horror is copying horror that inspired them, which I suppose is probably true for a lot of art. But I think I just got to a point where I was looking for the most intense thing that I could because I was going to give credit to any movie that could make me feel anything at all. And I think uh, when I got to like Antichrist in a Serbian film, that's what I think a Serbian film killed horror movies for me. I, I, that was where I was like, you know what? That I did it. My search is over. I saw the thing that I think I was trying to see. Uh, I respect what it is and why it exists, but I think I'm also a little scarred from it. And now I just want like interesting, unique, like really well-crafted horror movies. Um, a lot of the goofy mainstream stuff doesn't do much. I'll still watch it. but So that's that's my horror journey. It was not a movie. There wasn't a moment. If I had to say that there was a moment, it was probably the Evil Dead and like Peter Jackson early stuff, you know, bad taste, dead alive. So <clears throat> we have a lot to touch on from that whole story right there. Like yes. one, like obviously we love Evil Dead in this house. Yes. We love and respect it. It is the best of the best franchises completely. But also when you said that uh you ran away from Poltergeist, like what was it the forbidden fruit of it, or was it like yeah. were you actually scared of it? No, no, not at all. I remember very specifically the scene, and it was I think it was probably two. Um, but there was a skeleton and a snake or something came out of its mouth. And I was like, I'm not allowed to watch this. I'm not supposed to be here. That was it. It wasn't, I was terrified of it. I just knew I wasn't supposed to be seeing it. It was the same, like, it was the same moment. Cause they were like, Hey, 
check this out. It was the same thing as if like somebody was like, yo, I found this magazine in my dad's closet. Like same kind of moment. For me, at least. Now, continuing on through your journey of the horror world, when you and your friends were watching these independent movies, like what started the chain reaction of trying to find the most extreme film you could? Do you remember the movie that was like, uh, we got to find something better than this? You know what it was? I think... You know, I, in high school, I had friends and we were watching these. Uh, they weren't mainstream movies, but they're well-known movies now. They're they're what you would consider classics. And I thought they were cool. And I, I think what happened was I remember getting to college and, you know, telling my new friends about the horror movies that I liked. And they were like, you've got to see this. And I was like, what? And I think really the thing that started us off down the path, I think it was Cannibal Holocaust because it was banned in the US. It was like, you're not allowed to see this. And I remember somebody getting a copy of it and being like, here you go, and taking it home and watching it. And aside from the stuff where they are like killing live animals, which I I won't watch that in a movie. I'll turn a movie off if that type of stuff starts happening. Uh, I didn't think it was that extreme. Now I remember that there were rumors that there was actual cannibalism and dead bodies and stuff in it, which I don't think so. But I think that was it. I think it was, okay, we saw this. What else out there? You know, how, how do we go further? What's the crazier thing, you know, that we can find? Because this wasn't that bad. You know, that makes a lot of sense. And for the record, uh, no real cannibalism or dead people in Cannibal Holocaust. I own no. two copies of it. There's a third on the way. Uh, I fucking love that movie. I saw it over the pandemic for the first time. And, like, yeah, I've seen a lot more extreme stuff, and we're about to touch on that right after this. Like, it's not yeah. the most extreme movie I've seen, but, like, you got to think about the time that it was made and the context of which it came out. That movie was fucking shocking. That movie was absolutely extreme for the time, and it set yeah. a very high bar for that. And like finding it in modern day, like I don't, know, I just never got around to it. So seeing it for the first time in twenty twenty, I was like, well, that was fantastic. But like, I've seen a lot more extreme because of things that have came after it. But for the time, man, it was just oh my god. Yeah, the cool was thing was, good. I saw it still in the era of urban legend like this thing is a myth you can't find it it's banned you know uh so i think i saw it in 2000 was when i first saw it which still was well after the fact but it was early on enough that you know there wasn't a whole lot in the way of digital media being shared around yet so yes it still was quite extreme even for the time I now, did you get the uh, the preferred treatment of you got a copy of a copy of a copy and it looked like shit no matter what you did? Um, it was definitely a copy of a copy of a copy. I don't remember it looking particularly bad, but I mean, watching anything on VHS doesn't look great. Take it back. <laughs> I have an extensive VHS collection still. Oh, I mean, I do too, but if you're looking for the clearest, highest fidelity, oh, VHS yeah. is not the not the format for you. No, it's nostalgia. It really, like, if somebody's like, yeah, I think it looks better, no, it doesn't. No. But no. it is, there's some movies I prefer to watch on VHS rather than bust out the 1080p Blu-ray restoration that I bought like six months sure. ago. Sure, and a lot of those Blu-ray, Blu-ray, Blu-ray restorations are trash anyway. 
yeah, they just take something away from the film. Like it yeah. just it kind of like demystifies it a little bit because you can see it clearly. Yeah. Yeah. But jumping from that, was there any of these extreme movies that really stuck with you or made like a significant impact? Because like for me, Martyrs, like I don't use this phrase a lot, but like Martyrs really changed things for me when I first saw it. And I still think about it to this day. Yeah, I mean, I remember watching Martyrs and being really into it for the first half. And then there's a point where it goes from intense to almost just over the top enough that you go, okay, well, we're getting silly. It's definitely a a left turn kind of movie. You're not ready for 100% what's going to come. I very distinctly remember that one, though. I would say the ones that I I mentioned, I mentioned for a a reason. Um, Tetsuo Iron Man was shocking to me. The Have you seen it? Tetsuo has the nice distinction of being one of the only movies in a modern era. I'm talking like this year, no, 2021, that I started watching it and I was sick in bed at the time. Like, so I was already feeling bad. So I started watching Tetsuo and it made me physically ill and I turned it off and I could yeah. not watch it any further. Yeah. The, uh, the whole murder by drill penis thing was a lot. Um, and if you watch the sequel, the sequel's not like that at all. It's like a kids movie almost. It's like upbeat Power Rangers kind of stuff. Very strange. Uh but that one that one hit me. Um Eraserhead sticks with me big time. I like a lot of David Lynch stuff, but Eraserhead is like watching a nightmare. It's it's nonsense and horrifying at the same time. Um very interesting. I loved Audition. I thought that one was pretty it's a slow burn, but boy, is it intense. Um, yeah, I think I think the ones that most stand out to me are the two most modern ones, Antichrist and a Serbian film. Now, I love Antichrist. I'm a big Lars von Trier fan. I wasn't a big fan of The House That Jack Built, unfortunately. I thought maybe it would be good considering it was horror. Um, but a Serbian film, if you've seen it, is just pure depravity it it's it's horrible things that nobody should see uh unfortunately i own three copies of it i understand i also have Uh, it on blu-ray yes there's just like different cuts and different companies who did them and i just ended up collecting them and people give them to me as gifts now it's like i just yeah i'm close to having all of them and i don't even like it that much i don't like it at all but i own it (laughs) i think it's uh, Unearthed did the Blu-ray for that, correct? Or do you have the old Blu-ray? I have the original Blu-ray. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you got you got lucky. Those are fucking rare. Yeah. Um. So I like it in the fact that the purpose of why it was made and the message it gives, but I do yes. not really like the execution. But also, why is it shot so beautifully? Why does it look so fucking good? It it does. It's an incredibly well-made movie for what it is, and I love that it is the biggest possible middle finger to the type of censorship and you know governmental oversight there is on film in Serbia i love that it's that but i do think they probably could have accomplished their goal without going quite as far yeah correct and it's any time this movie comes up we come to this conversation of like should they have done that part but like i think Yes, it was necessary because now 
people have nowhere really left to go for like more shocking extreme things and it's forcing everybody to get creative with it now um i've seen some movies that have come post-serbian film that i like a million times better and they're like to me they're more shocking because like a serbian film you can tell all this is just a movie but there's some movies that really push the boundaries of like I think I'm watching a snuff film right now, and I'm not quite sure until the the credits roll. Yeah, I think, you know, what it comes down to is if you are making a movie to look like a snuff film for the sake of looking like a snuff film, I probably am not going to take much from it. If you're making a movie that looks like a snuff film because you've got something to say or an interesting way to say it, then I'll I'll watch. Outside that, I don't have much interest. And I want to jump backwards a little bit because you mentioned Eraserhead and that movie was like super impactful for me as a teenager. Uh, I was just told by a friend, Hey, download this and watch it. I had no information going in. Um, So I made the mistake of like getting lethally stoned and watching Eraserhead for the first time in my bedroom alone. And like, I couldn't sleep that night. Just couldn't stop thinking about it. And it was the first Criterion Blu-ray I ever bought because that movie is just fantastic. And I think everybody should see it once just to see what it does for you because I've heard different stories from everybody that have seen it. Like, I don't know. It's just one of those movies that like will hit you differently than the next person, I suppose. And you can get a different story from it each time you watch it. Yeah, my dad actually encouraged me to watch that one. He was like, here's the movie you need to watch. And I think I saw, again, I think I saw a, a VHS like copy of a copy originally because I think until that criterion, it was not available in a physical format prior to that. Um, but yeah, that was an interesting watch. A very, I mean, most Lynch stuff is pretty out there, but I think that's a special level of out there. Oh, absolutely. And the effects of like, him never revealing how the baby was made, what it's made out of. Like that just, I like that he sticks to his guns with that because I don't want to fucking know. No, there's so much to be said for having a little bit of mystery in a character, in a plot, in a movie. I mean, there's a difference between uh, we're leaving mystery to add interest and we wrote this poorly and there's mystery because there's plot holes. Like, I think it's okay to have some intentional mystery around characters and stories. You know, I look at, I have, I have no issues with star Wars. Well, I have a lot of issues with star Wars. I love some of the star Wars movies, but there are characters that the whole interest around them is due to the mystery. Han Solo, who knows about his past? What a mysterious, weird guy. He could have done all kinds of dangerous, crazy stuff. It's part of the appeal. Let's make a movie where we explicitly tell you everything. And I'm like, oh, you just ruined it. Like, leave some mystery. I think it's okay. It's a good thing. Having mystery is very, very good. Uh, and just uh, jumping along here, did you ever have any experience with the Japanese guinea pig films? Japanese guinea pig films? Correct. I am, I'm not familiar with this, so you're going to have to explain. <laughs> so the guinea pig films were a series of films uh, in Japan from the... I don't want to be hurt by the four people who listen to this who know what they are. They are from the before the 2000s era. That is a safe thing because none of them are made past 2000 except the American guinea pigs, which are a whole different thing. Um, so they were movies that were... They were like one of the pioneers of the fake snuff genre. 
Uh, um, and there's a very famous one called Guinea Pig Flower of Flesh and Blood. And uh, very famously, Charlie, Charlie Sheen got a hold of a copy of it. And he watched it and he reported it to the FBI because it is shot so well and done so well that he really thought he watched this woman get dismembered in front of him for real. Um, I think the guinea pig 2 is like the gold standard for special effects, and it's what inspired me to start fucking around with special effects to this day. Um, some of them, they take a weird veer into comedy. Um, as they go, they become a little more comedic and just like gross out rather than just like you're watching somebody die on screen for real. Um, I think they're very, very interesting, and they're, like, very high up there. And when you said you've seen, like, the Japanese horror movies, I was like, oh, cool, we can talk about guinea pig. Because, like, I only get to do that every so often. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think I've seen them. Now, I'm not going to say definitively that I've never crossed them or had a discussion about them, but it's not a topic intimately familiar to me. They are a fantastic watch if you stop after the third, because the first one is very real. It's a woman being, like, kidnapped and just tortured, and, like, she's, like, punched a hundred times and then kicked a hundred times to see what it does to her. And then uh, there's the second one, which is uh, this man recreate... He's recreating a tape that was sent to him in the mail using another woman, and he's just showing off, like, what the snuff video he was sent was. And there's just some really, like, it turns my stomach to think about some of the effects in that movie because they're so realistic and they're done so primitively that they look really real. This is before, like, all the special effects were, in, you know, top notch. So they had to get super creative with it and they look fantastic. And then the third one's just, like, a goofy horror comedy about a guy who can't die. So he just oh. keeps, like, doing ridiculous things to himself. Um, it's very good. I recommend those a lot. Um, and then pitching through that after a Serbian film, did you like just drop out of the horror world or did you want to just like, you know, take it easy? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, you know, still would watch things that came out. It just became less of a, you know, goal for me to track things down. It was, you know, it, it was not a, uh, a pursuit for me anymore. I went, okay, I, I think I'm, I've accomplished what I set out to accomplish. And that's why I said, now I, I'll watch horror movies, but I'm looking for the stuff that is special and unique and really well-crafted. Um, generally, you know, I mean, there's something to be said for something that is poorly made, but is still fun to watch. But uh, I'm just, you know, I guess I'm still watching stuff like that. Just it's not as much of a goal, if that makes sense. That's fair. Has there uh, been anything recent in your memory that like you really enjoyed and it like, you know, it hit something for you? Yeah. In the past few years, I've seen a few that I really liked. Um, I loved Anna and the Apocalypse, which is a Christmas zombie musical, but really well put together from Scotland. Um, I'm a big fan, big, big fan of that. I liked Assassination Nation. I don't know if you saw that, but I thought that was pretty good. Uh, I really liked Neon Demon. I thought that was good. Um, Under the Skin, I really liked a lot. I thought that was pretty cool. But as far as like recent movies, those, I mean, I guess semi-recent, Spring, I love Spring. Um, Honeymoon, I liked a lot. 
those are all within the past 10 years, I think. You just, like, usually people come on here and they're like, I loved Hereditary. I loved Midsummer, And you're hitting me with stuff I've heard about but haven't even seen for myself. Like, that is fantastic. I'm really glad. Uh, Please do watch all the ones I just mentioned. Seriously. I think that's all good stuff. Uh, Hereditary had a shocking moment in it. Uh, Um, I, I, I respect it for what it is. You know, um, I really, really liked Hereditary, but I think another watch would like unravel some of that for me, so I'm not going to. Hereditary is absolutely a, in your first watch through, you have the reactions to the things. There's no way watching it again would be the same experience. No, I also think that it doesn't, it doesn't do horror like as much as I wanted it to. It does a thing for me that like is really unique in a film to where it has the most realistic display of grief that I've ever seen in a movie, period, hands down. Uh, there's no other movie I've seen that gives you the real feeling of grief like that movie. That I think that I will agree that there is a moment where, even sitting in the theater, you feel grief translated through what's happening in the movie you're you're part of it and that's why i say i'll give it some respect the rest of the movie i think is okay yeah it's fine but midsummer i was not a huge fan of it's fine uh i very famously just didn't like it i didn't enjoy any of it i thought it was okay anyway yeah so those those were some of the ones that i really liked but those two i mean what was the one that came out last year that was so fucking goofy that everybody talked about malignant that's what oh, it was called yeah i made it like 10 minutes into that movie and i was like i there's nothing for me here i didn't uh, i had it. a friend that loved midsummer was like you've got to watch this movie it's one of the best movies this year and i watched it the whole way through and i was like what the fuck <laughs> yeah. okay if i don't you, know uh, I, it didn't do much for me if you want a movie from very recent to like actually lived up to what everybody told you it's possessor uh, oh it see i've heard of that i haven't seen it though it's cronenberg's son's uh first maybe first movie uh it's is fantastic. it all body horror stuff yeah it's a cronenberg oh, movie course, it translates yeah. right through the generations okay perfect. uh it's very good um i enjoyed it a lot we got a screener copy early somebody uploaded like this screener copy that just like had like the screener text on the bottom the entire time and it's enough to make you tune that out. Like, it's that good. Okay. Uh, well, I have to watch it then. Yeah, I highly recommend it. It's very fun. I love Cronenberg, so, like, I take that with a grain of salt. If you don't like yeah. Cronenberg, you probably won't like this, but... Fair. Uh, coming on to the second half of our podcast that we like to talk about is music. And now, uh, for people who don't know, you're in a hardcore band. Uh, they could yeah. have guessed that when they said that your, you said your parents were divorced, but, like, you know... <laughs> that's all it takes right yeah if you didn't infer that he's in a hardcore band and they're very good now we're gonna pull the same question we do as horror is what's your first experience with the art that you create be it music this time oh music um yeah i that's an interesting one because i think music goes back about as far as i can remember for me um i you know my 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 mom always listened to music, even though it was relatively mainstream, you know, whatever was pop on the radio. But I loved to draw as a kid, and I loved music as a kid. And I remember 
writing songs on my drawings just lyrics that I thought would make a good, like I, I had the melody in my head um, as very young kid and stuff like that. So, so I was really interested. You basically created MySpace photo captions before they were a thing. Oh, totally. Totally. See that rule. But, and, uh, you can go off to your first experience at drawing too, because that's art you create. Like what would, do you remember the first time you drew something that you actually liked? Oh God. Every once in a while I draw something that I like most of the time. It's not quite to where I want it to be, but um, I mean, seriously, I I loved drawing as a kid. Just you know, give me paper, let me draw. I when I got into grade school, it was drawing Transformers. I was obsessed with drawing robots and Transformers. And then um, when I got into high school and college, I was obsessed with drawing comic illustrations i just wanted to draw characters like i saw in all the image books that i was buying i just thought that was the coolest shit and i remember going to college and being like i want to draw draw comic books and they were like yeah we don't have a draw comic books major sorry um but now i'm doing like a lot of digital art i'm doing a ton of um like logo design stuff and layout stuff i've done a lot of you know I did I did some of our album layout stuff in the past and for other artists and things like that. So I like that. As far as when the first time I drew something I liked, I guess I wouldn't have kept doing it if I didn't feel good about what I was drawing. You know, if I as a kid, if I drew something and I was like, that looks pretty cool, it inspired me to keep drawing more. So I guess along the way there's always been just enough to keep me interested in it. Um yeah. Music has been the main thing, though. But And the music. Uh, what was the first thing you heard that was strictly like, this is me, this is mine, this is for me? Like, I've heard a little bit of your background, and I think I know what you're going to talk about, but I would really like to hear it from you right now. Yeah. You know, as strange as it is, I would say the first time I listened to music and went, oh, not everybody's into this, like, this is something I'm into and like select other people are and the people that listen to it, like all get it. And we're part of like a, a special thing. I think faith no more might be the band that did that for me. Yeah. You can keep that. Uh, butcher is a Mike Patton guy. I am. not. Yeah. My, uh. Mike Patton definitely was, uh, and, and nine inch nails as well. Both of them, in the nineties, actually back to the eighties for faith, no more, even for me. But I think a lot of that sort of crossover from the legitimate, like indie metal and punk scenes that were crossing over into mainstream, your white zombies and your primus and stuff like that. All of that stuff was the first time that even though there was some mainstream attention, it felt like, (laughs) who is that? Uh, sorry, everybody. My kitten Ace just interrupted us by running across the keyboard and is now fighting my headphone strings. Okay, that cat's adorable. Um, but yeah, I think that was the first. But it, and and really, more importantly, I think that was the gateway into the hardcore scene for me. Uh, that was where my interest in heavy music, heavy music, came from. I think, and then once I got there, once I went to my first show, once I started like talking to people that were in the scene and listening to these bands and going to shows that was the okay this is where i belong this is mine you know not just mine it's ours and it's it's not 
everybody else's. Nobody else in the outside world gets this. And when you come across somebody that grew up in the hardcore scene or listened to that music or is still part of it, there's always this sort of immediate connection where you're like, oh, we can relate like because we get the thing. So I, I would say that those are my first that's that's for me things. I think the first time you mentioned, because, all right, I'm going to drop the veil here. Uh, I know you through a Juggalo Discord. Uh, we met yeah. through there, and the first time you mentioned it was like hardcore, through not through the Juggalo music, though, I was like, oh my god, he gets it. Like, he understands. <laughs> he, like, he truly, like, he gets it, and we have things to talk about that are not this clown music. Yeah. And it was really exciting for me. Uh, we found out that me and you came on different generations of hardcore and we don't really have like a ton of the bands in common except for the newer stuff. But like, I mean, behind me is a giant American nightmare flag. That's always going to be the band for me. Uh, but <clears throat> it felt like, like you said, that translated directly to me. As soon as you mentioned it, I was like, Oh my God, he understands. Yeah. Yeah. It, there's, there's always that connection point when somebody gets it and you're like, Oh, okay. We, we understand this. And I've been really lucky. I was in a band in the mid-90s, so I got into a lot of the music and played a lot of shows with bands and stuff like that uh, around that era. I was in a band in the early 2000s, so I was kind of close to music then. I was in a deathcore band in the oh. late 2000s. Uh. Um, so I was playing shows and like listening to a lot of that stuff. I've been in a band since 2015 now playing shows and touring. So each of those eras, I was still listening to and being exposed to a lot of the new music. I think for a lot of people, you do the thing till a certain age and then you freeze in time. You listen to the music that you liked until you die from that point. And I've been really lucky to be able to continually be exposed and sort of be reborn through the scene over and over with the new bands. I am truly expressing my deepest gratitude and sorrows for you being in a deathcore band, especially in that era. I'm very sorry. Yeah. I mean, it was like 2008 and we thought, I mean, it was before people were using like the, the tech death and technical deathcore terms and stuff like that, but that's definitely what we were. Um, and it was cool. It was fun. I really liked it. It was good music. I mean, as far as that genre goes. Yeah, I think I couldn't even loosely call any deathcore good for me. It just like it's one of those things that like it never clicked for me ever in the slightest way possible. Like the stuff that worked best for me are all of the bands that had roots in hardcore. There's a lot of I think like second and third wave deathcore stuff that came along that were emulating the first wave of deathcore bands that had it's kind of like you listen to like pop punk the early pop punk bands were punk bands and then later on you had bands that were just rock bands that had never gone to a show had no understanding you know there was no connection there they were just emulating the bands they heard and i think the same kind of thing happened and i think it gave a bad name to the the genre also the fashion was pretty questionable although most of it's coming <laughs> back around so yeah, people online are wanting to buy old band shirts I've had for like over a decade. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to perpetuate this cycle. I really don't <laughs> want to do that. <clears throat> like new bands are doing the whole like entire front graphics, like with like the bright neon colors. And I'm like, can we, yep. we made this mistake before. Yeah. Like, yeah. We've, yeah. We've done no. it. You just, it's, it's a, it's a never ending circle. 
I cannot wait for the simplistic early 2000s hardcore shirts with like five words and a, maybe a little fucking picture on them to come back in style. I like that too. I don't mind the big graphics, but I also like that. I like the um, black and white picture on the back, uh, a, a shot from a live show, line from a song, small pocket logo on the front. That's a good shirt. Uh, recently, in 2019, I think Touche Moray did one of those for their 10-year uh, of Dead Horse. And I was like, wow, that takes me back. That is yes. like, That's just like, I call it the varsity shot. I don't know if it's an official name for it, but that's what my brain says it is. Yeah. Uh like that just those shirts make a lot of sense to me, but like I don't wear them anymore, you know? Yeah, I feel you. Like when I came into it, those shots those pick those shots on shirts were very popular. And like you yeah. uh I wanna touch on something. You mentioned like one of the things for weirdos that really connected with you was nine inch nails. Yeah. When I connected with nine inch nails, they were fucking everywhere. I got my nine inch nail shirt from Hot Topic. Like they were they weren't so much like a weirdo secret for me. They were just like my cool older brother really liked this band, so now I really like this band, which has translated ninety yeah. percent of my music taste. Is my cool older brother liked it, so now I like it. Yeah, I mean a lot of those early, you know, I guess alternative metal type bands started out being feeling very counterculture and being uh, against the mainstream or non-mainstream and then became very mainstream. Like I, I got really into, and I think also got really out of after nine inch nails in the, the broken and downward spiral era and downward spiral blew them the fuck up. They were huge. And I, I, I really liked both of those albums at that time. Going back to listen now, they're a little difficult to listen to. Uh, but it was a huge, you know, stepping stone for me of getting into, you know, heavy and aggressive music and stuff. But you look at the White Zombies and the Panteras and maybe not to the same extent, but Sepultura, like Chaos AD was a huge one for me. Uh, but all of those bands have gained massive mainstream success over the years. You know, they got really big. But when they first were getting big, they were not there yet. You know, it was still the cool thing. I think the difference between White Zombie, Pantera, and Sepultura is like White Zombie and Pantera still rule. Uh, they're still good. I can put them on to this day. Still very good. I mean, uh, Chaos AD is one of the best early to mid 90s hardcore albums I've ever heard. And when I listen to it through that lens right now, I still think it's fucking great. Um, Roots is good for what it is, but uh, once Max left, Sepultura was not the same thing. And speaking on stuff like that, is there anything from the modern era that hits you like it did, like like when you first heard your like the first hardcore record you heard? Is there anything modern that's really done that for you? Um. Yes, I, I will. Yeah. I mean, every once in a while, that stuff, I'm going to say modern, but it's not going to be that modern. But, you know, when I first started listening to bands that got me into hardcore, it was Biohazard. Like Urban Discipline was a huge record for me. It was um, Destroy the Machines and Firestorm by Earth Crisis and uh, Looking Glass Self and Steps by Snapcase and stuff like that. Um, I love Snapcase. I'm a huge fan of, of that's a all weird those one. Nobody ever mentioned Snapcase. That's weird. Oh my god! I'm so glad. Yeah, no, I love Snapcase. My um, older brother gave me a Snapcase shirt when I was like ten, no, like seven years old. He gave me one that didn't fit him, and he was like, "If anybody ever asks you, 
just tell them the snap case rules. And I'm like, okay. Okay. That's <laughs> so dope. It stuck with me. Um, yeah, I would say when it comes to, you know, in the past five, six years, bands that really hit me, uh, w- when I first heard pop culture by knocked loose, I was like, holy fuck. I don't know whether I should hate this or love this. And I ended up loving it. Now I'm not a huge fan of what they're doing now, but much respect to them for parlaying what they were doing. Something that was largely not an accessible sound into something that has made them relatively famous within that scene. I mean, they're a pretty big metal band now, I guess. Um, uh, the first, I guess it was the second, the second employed to serve album had some moments like that for me. I thought that was cool. Um, I don't know if you consider them a hardcore band. I guess they're a metal band from Australia, but they basically sound like knocked loose. So (laughs) I don't know. So there was that, um, I'm trying to think of some of the other, like in that realm of music stuff. I, I saw chamber and I thought they were fucking great. And I, you know, whenever somebody I, I, says chamber, I'm like, you saw a coal chamber. This, I have seen coal chamber. No, they- no. I saw a coal chamber 20 years ago. I'd say, are they still around? I don't think they no. are. Didn't Des start devil driver. Isn't that his band now? Holy fuck. What? The dude from Coal Chambers, the dude from Devil Driver? Yeah. Whoa. Uh, no, I did not know this. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a thing. That's yeah. These weird connections just happen to me all the time. Somebody will mention something to me, and I'm like, I had no idea. Yeah. I saw Coal Chamber with ICP. Ah, here it is. The first mention of uh, the ICP. Yeah. Um, um, now, they're going to relate heavily to the next question, I'm pretty sure. Oh, oh Okay. Uh, that is, when did the horror and art you make start crossing over with each other? So basically, when did horror and music start crossing over for you? Yeah, you know, ICP was not where it started crossing over for me. I, I think that was a big part of it, and I think that that was a, a big part of the interest for me. Um, but I think the first place that horror and music really started crossing over. You could say some of the imagery and stuff in the nine inch nails videos and, and some of the um, imagery that they create that Trent Reznor creates lyrically was part of that. So I think that was part of it, but white zombie really was, I mean, Rob zombie is such a big horror movies guy that I think that was where a lot of the, the imagery and horror references and stuff first started coming together for me. But you know, I don't know that a lot of bands would, you know, offer this up or maybe not, maybe not admit it, but I think horror imagery is a huge part of, I don't want to say hardcore, but like the, the metallic hardcore, the metalcore side of hardcore. And now when I say metalcore, I'm talking modern metalcore, not like the Atreyu kill switch engage, you know, <laughs> like mallcore metalcore, but what the kids these days called metalcore i guess which like like would be our band but there's definitely i mean we had a saw hoodie with you know i mean with with image we had a you know all kinds of stuff that used horror imagery and i i I don't think that there was a specific moment where i can say uh this is where horror and music crossed over for me in my you know my creative life 
but I always think that there is some crossover there just in general, not lyrically for me very much. I that's when I write songs, I'm, I've never been the type that I'm like, Oh, I want to write, you know, gore for the sake of gore because there are bands that do that, that I like, but that's not a thing that's appealing to me to do. So what do you mean? I love Campbell corpse. Well, you see, that's exactly what I mean. That just doesn't, it just doesn't do a lot for me. Oh no. Like if, like I do love them. They're very good. But like, I understand why people would not. Um, yeah. They've written the hate... same album like 15 times and it's a great album. I will yeah. listen to it 15 times. I'll, you know what? There's a lot of people that'll hate on a band for that. But fucking more power to you. If you've got an audience and you can keep delivering what that audience wants and you can continue to be successful, fucking do it. Go for it. I mean, I want to keep evolving, but. I appreciate that they've never tried to change up the formula. Like, sincerely, it's very good. I love that formula. Also, hey, this is an officially uh, Liquid Death sponsored podcast. Oh, it sure is. (laughs) We're both drinking Liquid Deaths. I have the, uh, we bought two 12 packs and that was one of them, the Severed Lime and the Mango Chainsaw. Yeah, the lime is my favorite. And I can't find it here. I have to order it online. We order it from Amazon. I'm a mango chainsaw guy, and Sarah is a severed lime. uh, Hell yeah. The berry one is pretty good, too, but lime is lime's my move. (laughs) I'm glad that I get to explain to you I'm not drinking a Four loco Gold at four in the afternoon. It is a mango chainsaw liquid death. I didn't know. Hey, fun fact about liquid death. Started by a former executive from Netflix who is a uh, a grown hardcore kid that got sick of going to events and parties and stuff and people questioning him why he didn't drink. So he wanted to make a drink for straight edge kids to be able to drink that didn't have alcohol, but nobody would look at it and think, oh, why aren't you drinking beer? That's a true story. That's a real thing. Now, I wanted to ask you because you mentioned Earth Crisis. Are you still nailed to the X? Yeah, absolutely. Straight edge and vegan. Still. Uh, Earth Crisis did that for so many people. And, like, I wish, again, because I'm younger than you, I'm 27. I wish that, like, bands like Earth Crisis would have had a foundational effect on me, but they really didn't. I had, like, heard their contemporaries and people who just, like, built on the sound that they had, and I think that I like that more. It's like modern yeah. people trying to watch, like, uh, like, they've been watching sitcoms for, like, their entire life, and then they're like, well, I want to go watch Seinfeld. I want to see. And like you see the things you've been seeing for the past however long because it's the foundation for it. And you're like, well, I don't like this. Yeah, I feel like that about the Beatles. I'm like, I get it. I get if you were there at the beginning, they were doing revolutionary stuff. But I'm like, I've heard a thousand bands do this. It does nothing for me. We are a big Beatles hate podcast. Uh, yeah. Nobody likes well, I'm where I belong then. Yeah. Uh, so... After the whole crossover with the horror, the horror and music, um, wow, I asked the next question already. I'm so ahead of schedule. Uh, what is the worst movie you've ever seen? Oh, you want to go to worst even before we go to best? Yeah, uh, because that's one... our, we like to, uh, we like to give a negative and then a positive. Oh, okay. A shit sandwich. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've seen a lot of movies in my life. I've seen, I've seen a lot of movies in my life for, for years and years. I track through letterboxd and my goal was to watch 186 movies every year, which was an average of one every other day. And I did, and I far exceeded a lot of times. And I got to the point where I exhausted movies because I watched so many. Um, and I've said a lot of them are 
the worst movie I've ever seen. But I think the one that is actually the worst movie I've ever seen is Roller Gator. What it go on? You got to keep talking about it. Have you never seen Roller Gator? <laughs> no, I'm very interested in Roller Gator. It is a movie about a woman who finds a small pink alligator dinosaur monster, which is just a hand puppet that she keeps in her backpack. And she's a rollerblader. And there are ninjas out to get Roller Gator. But Roller Gator also is like a smart alecky comedian. Um, for some reason, the entire movie from start to finish has like an acoustic guitar music bed under it nonstop, even while people are talking. And it's so poorly shot and recorded that most of the time the music is competing with their voices and you can't tell what they're saying. I love a shitty movie, but this one is so shitty. It's so shitty beyond shitty that it's not even fun to watch. It's it's a miserable slog to sit through and yet it's such an anomaly like it shouldn't exist it's a it's just such a piece of shit you know i you were selling me until you mentioned the acoustic guitar underlay and then you completely turned me off of watching this movie because i do not like any sound of that but that's part of like you're watching it and there's a point in the middle of the movie where i was like is the music ever gonna stop what the fuck? Like, I don't know if they were making it and they're like, hey, we're getting a lot of like background noise. What can we do to mitigate that? And they're like, well, we could, you know, try to edit the audio and, and you know, put some filters on. They're like, do you know how to do that? No. Do you? No. Maybe if we just laid a music bed under it. Oh, yeah, that'll do it. I, I don't know. It was weird. It was it's bizarre and terrible. So you're saying it's not like a movie you bring to a movie night, like, check out this terrible bullshit. It's like everybody would suffer the entire time. I'm not going to put us through that. Right. No, nobody would have fun with it. You'd have fun with it for about five minutes, and then you'd be like, oh, God, this is a whole movie. So Thanksgiving, it's Thanksgiving. I don't know if I've seen Thanksgiving. Wait, is that the movie that occurred out of the commercial break from Grindhouse? No, that's Thanksgiving, and I'd like to see it. I don't think it's real at this point. Uh, the only one that's real from that was Machete. And Hubble with a Shotgun. Oh, yeah, I did see that. Uh, I thought Thanksgiving was being developed, and I think it fell into development hell, but I'm not quite sure. Um, okay, I thought it might have happened, but I don't know. Thanksgiving is a movie about a killer turkey, and it opens with a shot of titties. Um, and he says, nice tits, bitch, and then kills her. I know the, what you're talking about. The, the turkey. Uh, and yeah, the turkey. I know what you're talking about, yes. And you see that scene, and you're like, haha, that's pretty cool. And then the, it's like the opening credits start, and you're like, oh, they made a whole movie of this. And it is yes. a whole movie of that. Um, it is, by far and large, one of the worst movies I've ever seen, and I have to watch it every Thanksgiving season. Um, oh. You just have to. See, when when I say the worst movie, like I've seen a lot of terrible movies that I I could objectively give a one and a half or one star, half star maybe because that's how bad they are. And yet they're very enjoyable to watch. My worst movies can't be enjoyable despite their badness. Uh, I think our previous guy, Shmeev, would like to argue with that. Uh, I'm guaranteeing Shmeev would find some sort of enjoyment from Roller Gator. Maybe. Uh, maybe we should have a movie night. Oh, God. I can't believe I just read myself into this. Uh, so, 
from that, I wanted to touch on like the reason, like why you're here in Juggalo June before we wrap up with the top, like the bad, the good parts, the fun parts. Yeah. Uh, would you mind telling me a little bit about why you're here in Juggalo June? Because you just seem like a normal, fun-loving guy who's in a hardcore band. Yeah. Um, well, number one, because you asked me to, but number two, because actually I have no idea how, did you, did you meet us through Juggalo Judgment? I did. I did. Okay. I was going to say you guys because they were like, Hey, this other Juggalo podcast exists and if you don't like ours, you should check this one out. And, right. uh, <clears throat> I was like, cool, cool, cool. And then, uh, there was the Gristle Media server for discord yes and i yes. hopped in there and then uh you guys were like oh this is uh this is way more popular than we thought it'd be we should probably branch this off yes, so you branched into I the think. icp with we discord and then we became friends through that because i was nervous the entire time to talk to anybody yeah. else yeah that's the story though that's the whole thing um aaron and i started randomly a little over two years ago doing a podcast about icp Cause he started as a joke, like, Hey, we should do this. And I was like, no, let's really do this. Cause I used to listen to ICP when I was younger and I was like, it could be fun to jump back in and see what the heck's going on. And, uh, it turned into a real thing. Uh, you know, we, we've got a great community. I think both of us have gained, uh, an interest in and respect for the music. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. It's, it's been an odd journey, but a very cool one. Yeah, it's brought me a lot of friends. Like, I was friends with the JJ boys prior, but, like, we weren't, like, talking all the time. But now all of us talk every day in there. Like, we all talk to each other, and it's a very beautiful community to be part of. Which is rare because, um, I'm sure you had it because you're an old-school juggalo. Like, there was a big sense of community and family back then. And then when I got further into it, that sort of died off. It really felt like there wasn't that anymore for me once I had gotten older and like started going to shows like more often because you know I was taken when I was like six and seven years old my older brother was irresponsible shit I was taking all the shows like bizarre bizarre tour and all that I went I was way too young that's that's fine I loved it I had a great time no trauma there but uh like when I got older and we started going to these shows like the old shit tour and whatever I'm dating myself that was a long time ago probably maybe over a decade um I didn't really feel like the community was the same and they didn't really care about each other anymore until the discord server. When I met all these very nice and loving people who would become a very big part of my day. Sometimes, you know, sometimes my human communication is through there yeah. and I love it. And it feels like it never left now. Yeah. That's an interesting thing for me because we're actually doing we, we've got three separate series within our podcast going on one of them is called story time where i'm just telling my story of how i got into icp and all that stuff and we had our little group of people that loved icp but i kind of got out of it about the time that the whole family thing was ramping up the the juggalos aspect of it because juggalo was a word we heard in the music but like to me, Violent J was a juggalo. He was the juggalo. And then, you know, I would say it wasn't until the early 2000s that that term started feeling like it was about us, about fans. And I, that's one of the things I've wrestled with coming into this is I was like, I've never really 
referred to myself as a juggalo. I've never identified as part of that community. And it's part of the reason that I think I kind of felt like I didn't belong there. Uh, you know, their music didn't feel like it was for me. The fans didn't feel like they were the people that I remembered. And coming back into it in the last couple of years and finding this community changed all that for me. I was like, oh, this is how it's supposed to be. I mean, the people in this community, and it, ex- I mean, everybody that's in our Discord, people that send us emails, um, even extending to, you know, people like, Scotty D from Fago Lovers and stuff, people that we we end up associating with and talking to, there is so much community to it. And and it's for the most part, not to say everybody is, it's it can be a very positive and very cool place where everybody is, you know, supporting each other. I mean, this Discord, on some of my worst days, that is the thing that keeps me going or brings me back, that I can jump in and talk to people that I consider to be friends because we met them through this show and stuff. And, um, boy, if, if that's, if that's what being a juggalo is, then I'm thankful to have that as part of my life. Yeah. See this kind of thing like means a lot because it can take on very special personal meanings. And this is one of them. This thing you've built is really special. It really is. We love all of it. I love being in it. Everybody has very good opinions about it. Like I've never heard. Well, Besides the two people that got banned, I've never heard somebody say a bad word about it. I I hate that that happens. We want, I really truly want it to be a safe and good place for everybody to be there. Um, But first and foremost, I mean, here's what it comes down to. Uh, Part of the reason that I've never been like juggalo is because I'm a hardcore kid first and foremost. And although I, I, you know, I loved ICP growing up and stuff, and I think that's a part of my life now, absolutely undeniably. Um, I think the the ideals and the values that come from that scene that I grew up in are at the forefront, right? You, I don't want you here just because you're a juggalo if you are going to be hurting or making other people unhappy or uncomfortable. I don't want you here if you're just here to be toxic. Like, I want everybody here. I want everybody to get along. I'll go to great lengths to coach somebody and say, hey, here's what you're doing that is causing a problem. Hopefully, you understand why. Um, But we definitely are not about to just let somebody hang around and make everybody miserable. This has to be a happy, good place for everybody. Exactly. And it feels like it's exactly the community that, like, everybody wants it to be. Like, none of us ever – well, okay – some of us argue about the dumbest things in the world because sure. that's you know that's who we are and it's all in good fun and none of us say negative mean things to hurt somebody personally ever really absolutely uh, unless it's Mike I will say yeah things I was to Mike. just gonna say except for Mike always coming after me about Riddlebox yeah he has no opinion like it's I like right. I've been pulling teeth and nails to get him on this podcast uh, it's still unsure if he's coming if not I'll have somebody pretend to be Mike uh, they'll have better opinions. Well, you know, he's the original straight edge juggalo. Yeah, he is the number one straight edge juggalo. And the first one ever. Yeah, I think I'm going to try to get him to break edge for my episode. Oh, no, don't do that. Just get him to break original. All right, we'll break the original. I'm yes. not going to call him the original the whole time just for you. Thank you. You're welcome. I love Mike, by the way. I love yeah, Mike. He's one of our best friends. We talk to him every yes, day. Absolutely. Just to put it out there, we do love Mike. I yeah. mean, I asked him to be on this show, so like obviously we'll do him. it. He was like, "Man, I don't know what I'm going to talk about." I'm like, "Dude, we just we don't talk about Juggalo things the entire time." 
It's fine. He's afraid of horror movies. He is, and he's like, that's a big thing for him. He's like, I'm not a fan of horror movies. I'm a terrible juggalo. And I'm like, we had a guy talk about homoeroticism in 80s action movies for like two hours once. It was Ooh. insane. That's interesting. There's a lot of it. Oh, he was uh, the vocalist for Graf Orlock, a band you probably know. I don't think I do. <clears throat> Graf Orlock were like one of the pioneers for like uh, samples in grindcore. They mm. used a lot of movie samples. They were called Cinema Grind at the time. Um, oh, I like that. That's a cool yeah. thing. Yeah, Graf Orlock were huge, and it was really awesome to talk to him. But he like didn't want to talk about horror movies, and they, like we were just like, yeah, cool. You're you're in Graf okay. Orlock. We don't care. We'll talk about whatever. You know, speaking of places where horror and music crossed over for me, you just reminded me. Um, one of the bands that I was in in the late 90s, we put tons of movie samples in our songs. And I remember reading a review in a zine that says that we were sample happy. We used too many samples, but we had samples from Army of Darkness in there and uh, things like that. So we did have samples from horror movies in our songs. I think that samples can either make or break what they're being put into. I really like, sure. I love samples and that's the reason why I like, I really like House of Crazies like a ton because they use samples and they like borrow from other artists all the time. I'm not sure if you've heard them prior to your listening for the twisted with us, but you're going to get to some points where you're like, Oh fuck, that's Halloween too. Like you're going to, it'll click with you because uh, you, you know, did it. You've seen it. You brought up Halloween. Ah, uh, well, I brought up Halloween too. So, like, did I really? Mm, you okay. just brought up the first one. There it is. No, one no, I just, I just meant the franchise. Oh, we can bring up Halloween three at any point. That is a gem of a movie. It is my favorite one. It's a fantastic film. I love Halloween three to death. Okay. Well, there we go. We got all of our Halloween references out of the way. Yeah. Um, I have heard House of Crazies prior to doing our reviews. Because I had Season of the Pumpkin in the late 90s. Very important album to me. And that is like, if somebody guns to my head, like, what's the most important horrorcore album for you? It is Season of the Pumpkin, for sure, for me. I'm like, thinking about it. Like, if I had to pick any one single horrorcore album to keep for the rest of the time, I can't pick Riddlebox or Malenko or Most Tasteless. It's got to be Season of the Pumpkin. I cannot put it down. Riddlebox was the most important one to me, but I think the second most important one to me would be Six Feet Deep by Grave really? Diggers. Yep. Yeah. Great answer. Fantastic yeah. answer. But again, I don't think I could put that above Season of the Pumpkin. It's just something really deeply Fair. embedded in me. It evokes this weird nostalgia feeling. It's just, it has all the right notes. Plus, well, I mean, like, it sounds like shit. That's just like a huge plus for me. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> um, our next review is going to be Homebound and then Season of the Pumpkin. Uh, those samples are going to start coming in droves now that you're on Homebound. Yeah. Yeah, I, they already are. I'm very happy for that. I look forward to it very much. But also, I want to ask you a question while I got you here. Uh is there a reason why you don't play any samples of the music while you're talking about songs on albums? Uh, you mean like Juggalo Judgment does? Correct. Why don't you bite their style? You know, honestly, we didn't start out doing it because I didn't want to get copyright striked. 
Um, early on, I wasn't sure how sensitive that type of stuff was. Turns out you can get away with a lot. Um, but the reason I don't do it now is because they do do it. Um, so I didn't want to just immediately go, here's one more thing that makes our show so similar to theirs. So I just kept our format the way it was kind of decisively because they did. It. I did listen to it and go, oh, we should fucking do that. But also it's a pain in the ass. The, uh, see, I didn't notice it on any of the previous episodes I listened to until you got to the songs we missed and you're talking about songs I've never heard. And I'm like, oh, I get to hear this. What's it sound like? And then it never comes. And I'm like, oh, that's right. They don't do that. Yeah, our goal was, and we used to mention a lot in our early episodes, was we want you to listen along with us. Like, here's your homework for next week. Listen to this album, and then we're going to talk about it and you be part of the conversation. Songs We Missed is tough because you can't just go listen to the album. You have to do work to find that shit. And I did consider, I actually did, I did think about the fact that I'm like, for Songs We Missed, we should put samples so that people can hear this stuff. But at the same time, you still need to go listen to the whole song. Like, go listen to it all. Yeah, it's it's a great question. Um, that's the best answer I have. Hey, which is perfectly fine. And I always, like, I wanted to get in some talk about ICP with Lee because, like, it's a very important part of us knowing each other and you yeah. as a person because it's something you do. And I didn't want to go through the whole, like, hour and, like, 20 or whatever we usually hit for this podcast without mentioning it because, again, it's very foundational to why we're friends and why you're here even. Yeah. So, uh, would you give me, like, if you want to, like, hear uh, Eric's backstory about becoming a juggalo and his life up to then, is it's on ICP with We. Uh, I listen every week. I know your story so far as you've released it. Uh, by the way, I'm very, very proud of you. It is a very long journey and it's a hard journey. Uh, Thanks. Yeah, man. Like, getting to hear you be really deeply personal on episodes really reminds me that, like, my friends have these lives that I would never know about unless they decide to share that with me. I'm not a big share my story person. I don't, I, I try to keep it pretty close. Um, and in talking to Aaron, I was very unsure about, hey, is there value in talking about these things? Is there value in sharing this? And, I think we both came to the conclusion that yes, we we thought it made sense. So there are some difficult things to talk about in there, um, but all things that I think help explain why I'm doing this, who I am as a person, and why this music, this scene, this group, ICP, uh, appeals to me. It's so easy to look at ICP from the outside and go, they're goofy, they're a joke band, they're a novelty, they're you know a, a funny thing. And yet for a lot of people, and this goes for any music, not just them, there are people that f- that relate to it deeply, that find value in it, that find some therapy in it, you know, that, that helps them to grow. And I think ICP at different stages in my life has been that, um, you know, somebody that doesn't understand that, you know, will laugh at me saying that they're going to go, oh, that's great. You're, you know, this guy loves the clown band or something, but um, you don't need to love ICP to understand that concept. Whatever music or band it is for you or book or movie that helps you have those life-changing moments emotionally and, and mentally, um, you understand the concept. So I think that's part of why I chose to talk about some of those things. Also, because sometimes it helps to 
share and be shared with for somebody to go, oh, wait, I'm not the only one that dealt with this, or I never thought about something that way. I think there's value in those things as well. There's a major value. And I really like, again, truly, I'm very glad you choose to share like personal details about your life that lead up to these things and help me understand how you relate to it and like understand that like, you know, not all of, none of us are alone truly in this world for things that we go through and hard times and bad things that happen to all of us. Like there is not a single person who hasn't had a bad thing happen to them. Like, and it truly like feels really nice to know that like you share in that pain of something happening to you. Yeah. It's so easy to feel alone in life. Even, I mean, I've, I've felt just utterly and completely alone in crowded rooms, you know, and I think we're looking as people not to feel alone. We're looking for somebody to share life with. Uh, we're looking for meaning as well. I think it's so easy to feel, to, to stop and, and feel existential and go, why? Why are we here? What are we doing? Why are we doing this? So when you find these musical scenes, whether it's horrorcore and the juggalo scene, or whether it's punk or hardcore or independent metal or whatever it is, you find a community that feels uniquely yours, but it's also something you can share with other people and you feel less alone and you feel like you're a part of something and it feels like there's some purpose. And I think that's the root of a lot of it. And you know, it's really, it's not funny that you mentioned it because like we both understood where it was turning with this not feeling alone for music thing is like, that's a big thing in hardcore. That is a major selling point in hardcore is like all these people feel the same as me. All these people have been through something like this and we can relate to the music because it speaks to us only, you know, people who have experienced these very particular things and what they're talking about at the time in the record, like it'll click with you very deeply. And that's something that like through most other genres, I don't really find is like hardcore is very like uh, self-confessing and very like uh, speaking your own kind of truth through the music of like, this is how I feel when these things have happened to me and this is what it's become for me. And like, I don't know. It's really hard to find that through a lot of other music, really. Yeah. Yeah. You know, hardcore for early on for me was one of the appeals was it was about uh, honesty, but it was a lot of uh, angry finger pointing. It was very social. It was very political. And I thought it was cool to listen to music that had something to say instead of singing about your breakup or whatever, which are still can be catastrophic things in your life. Um, I've always felt like in writing lyrically, I need to use it as a, a channel to sort of exercise my emotions, right? It's a, it's a way to say things that otherwise I could never say. I can, I can say something to or about myself or somebody that otherwise I couldn't just do. And I can do it in a way that connects or sends a message to somebody and that's amazing and and vice versa i can get it back but i do think that even though the scene can be divided and there can be a lot of gatekeeping stuff scene unity is a big part of what hardcore was what i think it still is and strives to be and again that's part of what appealed to me about icp was their their sort of diy mentality and especially early on their they had important things to say and they had things they believed in and their shows felt like punk and hardcore shows and their scene started to now these days it's not the same, but I think there's still parallels there. But yeah, I think 
that's so key. It really is. And I've had a wonderful conversation with you, and I want to wrap this up with some positive things because you know we got a little we got a little emotional there. Yeah. Uh, what are your favorite, like the top five movies of all time? And they don't have to be horror. You mentioned earlier you made two separate lists, which is fantastic, but they didn't have to be horror. Uh, what are okay. your top five favorite movies? Um, wow, that is so tough. Um, I've got lists and I'm trying to figure out what I would put in my top five. Melancholia is one of my all time favorite movies. Um, I mentioned Lars von Trier earlier to me. Outside of maybe Dancer in the Dark, which I love, but is so emotionally gutting that you have to really be prepared to watch it because you're going to end up just a ball of tears at the end. Uh, but Melancholia, I think, is one of my favorites. Um, I really like Ex Machina. Big fan of that one. I don't know why that one sticks with me so much, but it does. Um, so that's two. I'm a huge fan of Alfred Hitchcock. And although... Rear Window and Vertigo and North by Northwest are close. I think I would put North by Northwest in my pop five, top five. So that's three. Um, Transformers, the movie 1986. What? It belongs there. Huh? Yeah, it okay. has to be. Um, none of the new ones. None of them. Yeah, when you said Transformers, the movie, I was like, the Michael Bay one? No, no. 86 Orson Welles is Unicron. Like let's go. Um, so that's, four. that's four. Uh, gosh, I feel like I have to throw something in there, but I, I think singing in the rain is objectively one of the best movies I've seen. Would I put it as one of my favorites? I do love it. No, you know, what it's going to be UHF. That's number five. It is always so fascinating to me when I get people, like our guests, say their top five movies, and I'm like, wow, I am, I've never seen any of these movies. Really? Really, truly. Um, watch Melancholia. It is heavy, but absolutely stunningly beautiful. Very well crafted. It is an allegory for living with depression and succumbing to it. Um, you will derive that from watching it, but my God, it's amazing. And if you haven't seen Dancer in the Dark and you want to cry, watch it. <laughs> uh, but all the Hitchcock movies, the, especially the three that I mentioned, if you're only going to watch three Hitchcock movies, watch those three. I've seen three. I have seen Psycho, Rear Window, and Vertigo. Okay, well, North by Northwest is oh, just... Wait. No, Rear Window. Yes. I've not seen Vertigo. Oh, you haven't seen Vertigo? Okay, Vertigo's great. North by Northwest. There's something about it that just feels so the golden era of Hollywood to me. Like, you know, when movie stars were movie stars. And they, I don't know. I think Alfred Hitchcock had such a way of making movies that people try to copy... But nobody's movies feel like that except for his. So that's, you know, one of my favorites. Very correct. I'll be checking out Melancholia. That sounds really interesting to me. Watch it. Uh, I do. Uh, so if I had to do horror movies, though, I can give you my five real quick. Yeah, let's roll. The Thing. Oh, perfect. Original. The Thing. Perfect movie. Uh, um, the Loved Ones. 
I'm a huge fan of the loved ones. Have you seen yeah. the loved ones? No, that's why I'm oh looking at Oh my god. Way. Fucking watch the loved ones. Um Evil Dead 2. That's my favorite movie of all time. So Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um Dead Alive. Another big one for me. Absolutely. Yes. Massive. And Hmm. Event Horizon. May, okay, that movie was uh, one of those movies that really changed things for me. And like, I don't know, maybe 2018, my roommates were like, we want to watch a scary movie that actually scares us and is horrifying. And I was like, oh, Event Horizon, hands down. You guys got to watch Event Horizon. Like, that movie still scares me to this day. I'm 27 years old, but it scares me. Uh, and they watched it, and they came back, like, they came back to my room because, like, I didn't want to watch it. I was in a good mood. And uh, so they watched it, and they came back, and they were like, that sucked. And I was like, I was like, did we watch the same movie? Did any of us watch the same movie? Because, like, how dare you say that movie sucked? And you guys just seen Hereditary last week, and you loved it? And you didn't like Event Horizon? Fuck you. Like, no. I was so mad about it. Like, I'm still mad about it to this day. Um, that's bullshit. Honorary mentions to Return of the Living Dead and Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Ah, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil is the third best horror comedy of all time. I love it. I will tell everybody to watch it. Same. Uh, number Wait, what's two, one and two? Number one, Evil Dead 2. And then number two is Shaun of the Dead, which is... I'm literally reading like a 400-page book about that movie right now. That's what I'm reading. Shaun of the Dead's great. That movie's... They, they literally teach it in school because that movie is so tightly written, so perfectly written, and it's a very, very good movie. Like from a, very good. From a like movie-making standpoint, it's a very good movie. Even if you don't like the, like, the story or anything like that, it is a, you cannot argue that it's not a very well-crafted film. I will not argue that. Yeah, it's just like, oh man, I love that movie to death, and it's like, it's one of those movies that changed something for me. I saw it at the right time, and I went, oh, maybe these old scary movies that I watched growing up are like they're worth something to me. So I continued there. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, this is every uh, every guest favorite part of the show. Talk about yourself. Promote some things. Where can we find you? What do you want us to do? How do we interact with you? Like, what do you want to plug? What do you want to promote? Yeah, easy. Uh, you can check out our podcast. It's called ICP with We. Uh, you can find it on pretty much all streaming media platforms. We're everywhere. We are coming up on our 100th episode in a few weeks here, which is pretty wild. Uh, Aaron and I will also be at the gathering this year if you're going to be there. So make sure you uh, track us down and say hello. Uh, also, I'll promote my band, Hollowed Out. You can find us on all social media, Hollowed Out HC. Um, obviously, our music. We've got uh, a few EPs and stuff that are available on streaming platforms. We haven't been very active for those last couple of years, but we do plan to replace, uh, release some new music in the future here. Now, I got to promote my stuff. Uh, do it. I will be at the less cool uh, Camp Zool with some members of the Discord and past well, when this comes out, some past guests, because the get, the camp will already be over. I will have already met Mike and Robbie and uh, Veronica. It'll be a good time. Um, we uh, <clears throat> By now, all the Grip Hook hoodies should have shipped out. Uh, if the Grip Hook have, hoodies haven't shipped out and you're hearing this, you need to message me because I'm on Suicide Watch. Um, these hoodies have taken years to get here. 
fucking grip hook grub barf bag. That's a very rare, very rare kind of item right yeah, there. I've got it. Uh, yeah, so if those haven't shipped out by then, I'm on suicide watch. You need to reach out to me. Um, it's been months now. We're waiting on printer. The printer's out of red ink. Uh, if you're listening and we don't have them out, if you have red ink, please contact us. Um, we will take it off your hands. Uh, he's on a three-week wait list for red ink right now, and it's driving all of us insane. Um, I feel like that brings us full circle back to Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, we don't have red on us. Um, there isn't any. Is that a thing? Is it like the baby formula thing? There's a national shortage of red ink? Uh, no, it's just like like the garment shortage for printing shirts and hoodies right now. Like they mm. just keep coming in and out of stock and like ink is on waiting lists because we can't use a couple kinds of ink right now for the hoodies we have to be printed. Uh, I don't know the specifics. I'm not the screen printing guy. I wish I was. That'd be cooler. That's I'd have them done. Bullshit. Yeah, I'd have them out by now if it was me. But, I believe uh, that. <clears throat> If not, if they're out and you have your hoodie, great. There's leftovers on the store. There's like two or three tapes left over from the first run. We're never going to make those cassette clamshells again. Uh, they were a nightmare. The VHS case run is going to be gone. When it's gone, it's gone. Um, and that's about it. I think we'll have dropped everything else by then. Butcher probably has a bootleg shirt up. Just check in with one of us. Right now it's Billy and Mandy. Uh, it'll probably be down by the time this comes out. Uh, you can find all of us on Twitter. I link it in the podcast description every single week, and none of you weirdos have hit me up about it ever. So please do hit me up about it. Uh, have a good night. We love you. <laughs>